Hello, Bill. Happy New Year, Matt. Yes, uh, we have not said this yet. Happy New Year. Yeah, wow, we have not. Uh, this is the longest we have gone in a long time without talking. <laughs> um, there was a Seinfeld when someone said Happy New Year in February, and that was deemed deemed uh, inappropriate by by Jerry. I don't know if you feel how, by January 12th, have I gone too far into 2023 to say Happy New Year? That has to have been a Larry David um, <laughs> edition, because I'm yes. sure that's I, I'm pretty sure that's also a curb your enthusiasm thing. <laughs> right. Um, at least it feels like a Larry David right, thing. Right. Um, so you were away last week, right? Yeah, man. Uh I was in Palm Beach and it was amazing. I uh, I love going to Florida. And by the way, let me just report. No traffic problems. No uh, no the plane took off, the plane landed on time, maybe a little early. We even had to check a bag coming back and it was like we waited 5 minutes and it came, you know, down the thing, thingamajigger. So uh, it was amazing. So do you credit people to judge or do you credit Ron DeSantis? I think clearly Ron DeSantis. <laughs> <laughs> this is all part of the Matt Lewis I gotta get good with Ron DeSantis project. No, I uh, I did not meet with Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump while I was in Florida. Um, but I do. I mean, I will say, like, Matt, I love Matt, Matt Gates. Matt Gates did not see Matt Gates. Did not see Roger Stone. Did not see any. Uh, I, I saw Byron, I Do- Byron Donalds. Uh, who's that? Can you, can you, Byron Donalds did not see him. Uh, maybe on TV. Well, remember when I was there, I was there in the middle of this whole speaker thing. So he was being nominated, right, I guess, to right. be speaker at some point, right? Well, I was can, can, can you can you name drop? Can you say who you met with? I can't. I cannot. I cannot name drop. But I was there. Let's suffice it to say, I was there with um, uh, some some big name conservative writers. Mm. So yeah. So if we're not, not going to be too much of a guessing game, but are these people that would be okay with some of your heresies of late? Or are these people that are trying to bring you back into the true blue conservative fold? These are like-minded, <laughs> like-minded people. Okay. So, um, but you know, it's, it's, it's great to mix business with pleasure. It <laughs> is. And, uh, got to get, get some, uh, basically, I was going to um, breakfast would start at 9 a.m. There were like some sessions until lunch. Then we would go outside usually and have lunch outside. And then we would have three or four hours off. And so you could go to the pool, to the beach, wherever. And so I don't like those conferences where you where you're just like, sitting inside all day, right? That doesn't do me any good. So this was amazing. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. Um, well, as you mentioned, the speaker battle happened while you were there. We have not had a chance to debrief on it. We've, we've not had any conversation on or offline about the speaker battle. No, I, when I, we I, did have, we did have our exclusive to Patreon supporters, um, of New Year, it was it was technically in the old year, but it was sort of a new year where we talked about. Uh, I don't remember what we talked about. It's probably the <laughs> what the biggest things that happened in 2022, the biggest stories and and all that. Um, but yeah, we haven't talked for a couple of weeks, and uh, it was before the speaker battle. Are you surprised how it turned out? Yes and no. So I I always thought that Kevin McCarthy would become the speaker because there was nobody else, right? And so I just assumed, but then in the middle of it, like after Kevin McCarthy lost the first three or four ballots, and he was, there was some attrition. He was actually not only losing the ballots, but losing the numbers. He was, you know, people were were fleeing him. Um, at, at some point I started to think, okay, this guy's done. And maybe somebody like Steve Scalise will see this as their moment. They will sort of be uh, drafted into it. And uh, maybe McCarthy's just a loser. And so I guess I gave up on him, just like I gave up on on Joe Biden prematurely after losing <laughs> Iowa and New Hampshire. After being a Biden booster, saying I thought he was going to win the whole time, eventually I thought, well, okay, this isn't going to happen. 
and I gave up prematurely. I think I did the same thing to Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> um, How about you? I'm, I'm basically where you are, uh, and I'm yeah. I, I didn't go in with a hard prediction because I felt like you know you can't read minds from the outside. Uh, but I always felt that I mean it's sort of similar to where I was with Mansion and Cinema. They had the determining votes, so you can whine and cry about how unfair it all is, but they have the determining votes, and so they get to set the pace. If Republicans had a hard five, unwilling to move, then they hold the cards. And so, on one hand, as you said, you can't beat somebody with nobody, which is a point that I made in print during the attempt to stop Pelosi. Uh, when she was uh, running for speaker again in 2018. Um, but I thought in this instance, you potentially had five people who just didn't care. They didn't care they didn't have nobody. And if they didn't care, and their absolute bottom line was, we don't trust Kevin McCarthy, which is what they said. Yes. Then you don't get Kevin McCarthy. So as long as they meant it, they could get it. You know, at one point, Sean Hannity was was badgering Lauren Baybert, saying, well, you don't have 218 for anybody. You only have 20. So why should Kevin McCarthy step down? And uh, I mean, I don't think Baybert was super articulate on the point, but the gist of it was, I want Kevin, Car- Kevin McCarthy to withdraw and open it up to somebody else and see what happens. Yeah. I, mean, and- Bill, I thought the low point, I don't know if you remember this. But there was a moment where Matt Gates sent a letter. I forget who it went to, right? But basically saying, like, Kevin McCarthy should be evicted from the Speaker's office. Right, right. He is. I mean, they like, said. I thought, to me, that was the nadir. <laughs> I mean, they all said so many things. They said, we will not cave. They said, we are hard-nosed. They said, we don't trust Kevin McCarthy. When Kevin McCarthy was giving the concessions, gave the biggest concession for the single member motion to vacate, Baber was like, this only proves, you know, I'm not quoting, this only proves how hollow, how hollow and spineless you are. Like you can't be trusted. He's you're been, only doing this because you're desperate. He's been selling shares of himself for years or something. Remember Matt Gates had that line. Yeah. That, that was a yeah. cutting line. And every time that McCarthy made a compromise, he confirmed or, or right. that stereotype that he's been right. selling off shares of himself. So they had him pinned. They proved for a few votes that if they didn't want Kevin McCarthy, then you were not going to get Kevin McCarthy unless 15. somehow you... Right. Uh, but even if the 15 weren't hard, like you know, in December, the initial five said, you're not going to pick us off one by one. Uh, so they seem to be following through on the initial threats and if all they want in life was to not have Kevin McCarthy they could have gotten it um and so it's still perplexing to me why they did cave because yeah they they got single motion to vacate they got people on their committees um but they could have gotten all of that and not have Kevin McCarthy because <laughs> all the things surrounding those two big concessions, well, what are you going to do about debt limit and spending and the budget resolution and the appropriations bills? Those promises are clearly much fuzzier. And I mean, on the, on the plus side for them, if Kevin McCarthy doesn't do what they want them to do, they can try to fire him. If they have yeah. five to hold, they say, well, you didn't do what we wanted you to do. We'll vacate you and go to somewhere else. But if what they really wanted was someone they trusted more, so it wouldn't have to get to that point, they could have gotten it. And the fact that they didn't hold the line makes me, will make me wonder next time, I'm not sure you will hold it. When you threaten next time, I'm not sure you can hold the line because you didn't last time. So I, I, I think they hurt themselves in that regard. Well, I do think, though, and I wrote about this at the Daily Beast, that what they might have done is just they might have just given in and said, look, it's a fait accompli. Kevin McCarthy is going to be speaker instead of this whole production. Let's just go along with him. Uh, And if they had done that, 
then number one, they would have missed out on a lot of fame and attention that, that they so desperately crave. But number two, they were able to negotiate some pretty important concessions and, and not just the motion to vacate. Um, there are things like getting uh, House Freedom Caucus members on the rules committee. Yeah, that's, that's the next biggest one. Is a huge deal. Um, and my understanding is that what it means is that the mainstream establishment, moderate, whatever we want to call these people, um, there are four of them on the rules committee. And in order to pass something or to, to, to basically get something on the floor, they will either need to have one Democrat join them or one Freedom Caucus member join them. That is my understanding from the Washington Post. I'm not right, an expert right. on the rules. No, but that, that means you, you, me you, need a a, you need a majority on rules. That's you need a majority big deal. puts it under the floor. The other thing that they negotiated um, is that Kevin McCarthy controls the Super PAC Congressional Leadership Fund, I think it's called. And um, they have agreed. Now, here's the funny part because ostensibly Kevin McCarthy doesn't control <laughs> this group, right? right? But right. obviously he does because in, as part of the deal for McCarthy to become speaker, this group uh, made a concession whereby they said, we will not play in um, open, safe Republican primary races. We will not play there. And what that means okay. is you can expect more Matt Gates's and more Lauren Boebert's mm -hmm. to win primaries. This is a group that spent a quarter of a billion dollars last cycle um, helping elect candidates that McCarthy liked. Um, what would it be like if they weren't there? And so I, I think that that Gates and Boebert, um, I don't think they're nihilists. You know, I, I think that they have an agenda and the agenda is to uh, Trumpify or magify the Republican Party. And by virtue of holding up this, this speaker race, they were able to exact uh, concessions and compromises that will make it easier, more likely that the Republican Party transforms even more than it already has. Now, to your point, Bill, why did they ultimately cave, though? I can only assume that they felt like they had to either um, some some members of the five must have felt pressure, whether it was from Donald Trump or Laura Ingram or Hannity. I don't know where the pressure was coming from, but um, but there must have been pressure because well, you're right. That, that's that's why I don't really believe I, I don't really feel like they were paying a price at home for doing this. Uh there, there were other conservatives who were cheering them on. There was a, there was a letter from like a whole bunch of old school diehard conservatives, like Ed Meese, uh, uh, you know, basically agreeing with what they were saying. So at minimum, there was there were, there was not unanimity in Republican conservative yeah. circles whether they were on the right side of history or not. So, uh, I mean, you know, maybe Babert because she barely won her reelection. Is, is is skirting with with danger by being this hardcore, but she's going to be this hardcore anyway. Um, I don't believe Matt Gates loses his primary over someone like this. But I, well, I, and I it's also, I, I I mean, if you're going to pick a fight, and by the way, I, I assume this is a harbinger of things to come. But if you're going to make a fuss and make a stink, now's the time to do it because you've got two years. This is the farthest out you could possibly be mm -hmm. from the next election, and so. Um, you know, make your move now. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know why they caved. I, I have to assume that that it was pressure because why not just keep getting attention and why not demonstrate, you know, get a scalp. Imagine if if Gates and Bobert were able to get a scalp What's the right thing? out of the like, gate. I mean, that they, would have been a... They, they would have gotten more power by killing McCarthy than by caving to McCarthy. You know, they that yeah. that definitively puts an exclamation point like you can't do anything without us. It's not it's not fuzzy. Um so that's why I think it's weird that yeah. they did what they did. The other thing, Bill, is you know, as you noted a long time ago, um McCarthy could have formed a coalition with Democrats 
And that seemed that almost was unthinkable. Like, well, I, I do not think Democrats any I don't think any Democrats maybe like, I think Marcy Kaptur floated that she might cross over in the in dire circumstances. But otherwise, I don't think you could have got Democrats to vote for McCarthy. You've got Democrats to vote for somebody else who was not insane. Um, and and uh, Fred, Upton, were, Fred Upton's name was floated at, right, at right, various right. points. Right. I mean, did you see in Congress anymore? Did you see the the video of of Matt Gates talking to AOC? Yes, and and Paul Gosar talking to AOC. And apparently, reportedly, they were trying to get her. They were trying to find out because if Democrats went home or just voted present, that could have screwed up Gates's plans. Right. And so right. apparently AOC said, no, we're not going to do it. I'm guessing Democrats were enjoying the spectacle and enjoying oh, yeah. watching yeah. Republicans and I, make I mean, fools of themselves. Yeah, I, I, And look, I, I think it was not inconceivable that uh, the Freedom Caucus overplayed their hand and you got enough Don Bacons and Brian Fitzpatrick's to say, hey, let's find someone who's, who's acceptable to 10 Democrats uh, and put this put this to rest. Um, I don't think things got close up to that point to give reason for the Freedom Caucus to stand down the way that they did. Um, but that that was the only real card that the more center Republicans would have to play to cut the Freedom Caucus people loose. Um, and things didn't really get I mean, close what, to that point. What was annoying to me, and what I think is problematic, is that. You know, while um, Gates and Boebert were pushing things, playing this game of, of brinkmanship, they were able to negotiate all sorts of concessions. But like the more I, I don't know what to call a moderate mainstream conservative, like whatever the normies were, they, because they were they were punished by. I mean, some of them probably lost spots on committees or d- different chairmanships even because the they weren't playing hardball and i think that is a problem and we did see people like nancy mace like complaining about it but then she votes for the rules package and this is the same nancy mace who like complains but then votes against impeachment and complains and then goes to trump tower and begs donald trump's like the the sort of the so-called normies um what is the Yates line about the uh, the worst are full of passionate intensity, you know, and the best lack all conviction? That seems to be the case in the Republican Party. Well, I mean, we'll we'll have to see if we reach a point where enough center right Republicans are frustrated and feel like their political staying at home is being compromised by. Uh, the Freedom Caucus calling all the shots. You know, Nancy Mace, I, I believe it was Nancy Mace who was complaining that they were, there was a rush to vote for on an abortion bill right off the bat. Um, I think we have, I think it's 12 Republicans in the new Congress who are in Biden one districts. Uh, so and that's the majority. That gives you the majority. So, you know, Nancy Pelosi was always very careful to keep the interests of the more moderate members in mind. You know, she kept single payer off the floor. So there wouldn't be divisive votes on issues like that. Uh, and Freedom Caucus people are demanding votes on their their their, their pet projects. Um, you know, just to circle back to something you were talking about earlier with the this whole thing about getting the McCarthy-affiliated PAC to stand down in primaries. Can you imagine what the news cycle would be if Pelosi only got the gavel because the, her House Majority Pack said, "Okay, we're not going to get involved in races where Justice Democrats are backing a candidate," people would lose their minds that the Republic, the Democratic Party, was going hardcore socialist. Uh, and I think what you said that this is a way to ultra magnify the party is absolutely right, and it's gotten some coverage. But it hasn't really got an explosive coverage, uh, and maybe it will, depending on what happens in races, you know, in, in twenty twenty four. But we don't know yet if there is a breaking point for the center right Republican and say, "Look, we we can't survive in our seats if you play the game this way." And the biggest test is going to be debt limit, uh, and there's already some nascent talk about using a discharge petition. 
uh, and just to refresh everybody, I mean, a lot of folks might already know, but um, you have to raise the debt limit. So Treasury has the legal authority to pay debt obligations. It doesn't in and of itself cut spending. This is to pay off debts that have already been incurred by past spending bills. So Congress has already, you know, you know, passed the law saying we're going to spend this number of money. And if the Congress doesn't then follow through with a debt limit increase, they're basically making a promise they're not letting Treasury keep. Uh, so the Freedom Caucus types don't want to do that without a fresh deal to cut spending, although they didn't uh, specify numbers in their handshake agreements with McCarthy on it. Um, but they're but they're grousing about the $1.7 trillion omnibus bill that just passed uh, last month. Uh, so McCarthy and or the three Freedom Caucus people on the Rules Committee can prevent a debt limit increase bill from going on the floor with the exception of use of the discharge petition process. If you get 218 on a discharge petition, that goes to the floor circumventing the Rules Committee and, and the Speaker. Um, there's a lot of hurdles you're going to jump through. You know, it's, you can't do a discharge petition overnight. It's there, There's like a, a protracted process. Uh, so that it's got to be queued up well in advance so you don't run into a problem of missing that debt ceiling deadline and going into default, which would jeopardize the faith, full faith and credit of the, of the American government. Um, so there is some question whether that that dance can be yeah. executed. Uh, but there's already talks about queuing it up and they would need six. You would need six Republicans to cross over to do it. Uh, and if the Freedom Caucus people test their patience, that could happen. Well, and look, the obvious point that for some reason no one brings up or rarely brings up is we just had a midterm election where I thought the message was that, you know, extreme candidates are bad and that the Republican, that the public wasn't really just on board with all the Trump stuff, you know? And um, it seems like the Republican Party has not heard that message. <laughs> Although, and Ross Delphit had a column about this in the New York Times, in a way, some of what the Republicans are doing is not Trumpy at all. You know, we are now returning back to more of a Tea Party era with the Freedom Caucus folks uh, who want uh, the suddenly deficits matter again because a Democrat's in the White House. You know, <laughs> when, when Trump was president, spending wasn't a big deal. Um, but but now that Biden's there, we are reverting back to a um, to a, a different sort of more Tea Party-ish Republican Party, um, where you have these sort of showdowns over debt ceilings. And well, I wonder if we're going to, I wonder if we're ever going to get, you know how like you only become a good Republican when you're no longer viable, you know, like there were like, man, if we could just have Barry Goldwater again, or like Ronald Reagan was, a, you know, the people who hated Reagan when he was president. Like, I wonder if we're going to get to the point where it's like, I miss Donald Trump. Like, will the mainstream <laughs> media ever do the, at least Donald Trump didn't want to destroy Medicare and Social Security. Well, that's what's so crazy. I, I felt like Donald Trump sort of showed them the way. Uh, this, this, so the one politically astute thing Donald Trump did, in my opinion, was tell Republicans, <laughs> trying to cut Social Security and Medicare is stupid. It never works. It blows up your face every time. And you don't need to do it. We don't become Greece if you leave these programs alone. Let's go fight about, you know, uh, abortion or transgender or just cut some taxes. Let people love that. Let's just cut some taxes. Screw it. Dick Shea, deficits don't matter. Don't worry about it. Um, and they seemed happy with letting Trump fight all the own the libs fights and set that one aside. And, you know, so there's so there's this argument. Well, they, you only care for this with a Democratic president. Uh and I think that might be a little unfair. I mean, granted, they don't, they, they haven't forced the issue of the Republican presidents, but that might not be because they don't want to. It might be they feel that they're hamstrung, their hands are tied. Uh, and because uh, there's leadership in their own party, that's that's not letting them do it. 
Uh, and so here's their chance. If, if they, if you, if if they actually put Social Security, Medicare front and center in the government operation slash debt limit fights to come, it may be because they actually mean it because it's so politically stupid to do otherwise. Um, and uh, it definitely gives Democrats an opportunity to use it as a foil again. They've been doing it for decades successfully. Uh, and very recently, it's not like there's been a great sea change in people's opinions about the programs. They're not even like the most dire circumstances right now. Um, uh, and that might be the kind of thing that gets the center Republican to say, look, we're out. We're not going to go down, you know, in flames with you guys on this. Uh, but well, I think it's possible that, that they actually mean it. I'm all for cutting spending. I just would like to do it in a reasonable, rational way that doesn't potentially lead to an Armageddon. I, I think <laughs> we need to do it properly. But let me, the other point though, it's not just things like welfare and social security. It could be Ukraine funding and mm -hmm. defense spending that are also cut. That would be a difference. That would be a change yes. from what you normally associate with the Republican party. And that would be an interesting, uh, development that could uh, be sort of a wedge issue that could maybe expedite the reordering that is taking place. Yeah, and you're already seeing some of the anti-Ukraine Freedom Caucus types uh, putting out feelers to some of the more left-wing members of the Democratic uh, Caucus who are definitely squeamish about the Ukraine funding. They haven't really forced the issue yet. You know, there was that aborted letter that the Congressional Progressive Caucus put out and then retracted, uh, which seemed to suggest that they were uncomfortable with the level of spending, but they but they clearly were are uncomfortable forcing that issue. Uh, can you get enough of them to cross over and offset any Republicans that might don't that might want to keep the Ukraine funding? Uh, and what kind of bill is Kevin McCarthy willing to put on the floor? Or what, or what is House Rules willing to put on the floor? Because they have numbers in the Rules Committee now. Um, so that's certainly uh, an uncertainty going forward. Now, they just banked a lot of Ukraine funding in the omnibus bill, precisely because they were worried about it, how it would go in the next, in the next year or so. Uh, I don't know enough about Ukraine's needs to know, did they bank enough? in the omnibus to keep them going for a good long while and have any short-term problems be, you know, manageable. I don't know. Um, but that definitely is a new point of division within the Republican party that I think is fanned by Donald Trump because Donald Trump uh, put, put, put his flag on having a thaw with, with Putin and Russia that the Ukraine war clearly goes in the opposite direction with. Yeah, you know, I, I compare this to when you have like a strongman dictator in a country, um, it's bad, but usually there's not a lot of chaos and there's not a lot of violence, right? Because he uh, won't allow it. And I think that um, when Donald Trump was the un sort of undisputed leader of the Republican Party, it was bad. And he did a lot of horrible things, but there wasn't as much turmoil like inside the Republican Party. And now I think as Trump, as his authority uh, wanes, we are seeing kind of the rise of warlords who are reasserting themselves and it's their own personal agenda or ideology is emerging uh, as as Trump's power recedes, at least seems to recede. Yeah, I mean, this so, is, I, um, I mean, this point, I don't know if you saw the political piece I had, um, party one becomes the party of none. You know, this this is not a cult of Trump. This is not Trump dictating every last thing that happens. Uh, this is a this is a leaderless party. And look, when a when a, your party loses the presidency, it's pretty normal to have a period of leaderlessness. You, you, you got to do some soul searching. You got to work some stuff out. You know, is, is the problem you? Is the problem me? Who's our next leader going to be? Like, that's that's actually quite normal. Uh, what's abnormal is that you become so rudderless 
that you can't do the basics of governing, like avoiding a debt default, keeping the government open. Uh, yeah. So that's where but, uh, you know, we don't want your soul searching to, my, to like do much. But let me go back to my, uh, to my my strong man analogy. Yeah, yeah. When a society, whether it's like Russia, the Soviet Union, or whether it's like Saddam Hussein's Iraq, when a society, when the cult, when, 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 you know, all of the leaders have been killed and you've had a couple of generations of, uh, of idea, of good ideas snuffed out and, and of leaders, you know, gotten rid of and, and, and memory hold and, and, uh, you have it. You you develop a culture where people don't even know how, for example, how democracy works. I think that's kind of the problem with Russia. You know, not a geopolitical expert here, and I'm guessing it's possible that if Putin hadn't come along, they could have had a better future. But there's like a <laughs> hundreds of years of of a culture of Russia, um, and I'm thinking when they had the window of opportunity for freedom and democracy. They weren't used to it. It was a foreign concept to them. And so I, I kind of feel like the Republic culture in the Republican Party. I mean, we, we could go and eat, like maybe more politically correct to go with a, a football team that is a culture of losing year in and year out. Um, when the leader has left, they are they revert back to this very dysfunctional culture. And I think that that that's the Republican Party. I mean, you get rid of Trump, you topple Trump, and that hasn't happened yet. And we should talk about him uh, in our next segment. But even if you get rid of Trump, it's not like, oh, we're free now. Let's be like they have got a weird, messed up culture that is not going to fix itself overnight. Well, you know, Matt, I did my dissertation on the transformation of Russia from the 19th and 20th century. So, um <laughs> I I do think your parallel uh, has merit, but your point that the modern Republican Party is akin to the New York Jets might hit closer to the mark. <laughs> There's some look. I, I'm willing to bet that we could quibble over the details and the uh, <laughs> the uns, the unsophistication of the way that I talk about this, but I think there's some truth to my uh, to my larger point. Okay, <laughs> um, is it okay if I shift gears? Shift. So while I do think the Republican Party is in a genuine state of disarray uh, and Democrats were really remarkably united, you know, throughout this process uh, and, and this is not the point I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make here, but Hakeem Jeffries, let's just say, Hakeem Jeffries is a star. I, mean, I like it, that it is, speech. I like that alphabet yeah, speech. Like, that yeah. did. I, I thought that was really good. I mean, it's 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 exceptionally rare for a congressional party leader to be that good a communicator, because the the way to become a, a congressional party leader is to do a lot of insider handshakes yeah. and whatnot. Master Look at Mitch, Mc, Mitch McConnell yeah, or Nancy right. Pelosi. Right. You mean, don't need to be a good be Chuck, a good communicator Chuck to be. Schumer. Yeah, that your skill set is to play the inside game, uh, and. Uh, that's what gets you to the top and gets you to be to be legendary. Uh, so the, he, maybe you keep Jeffries as a horrible procedure. I don't know. But so far, I mean, if we're seeing over the next two years, Kevin McCarthy, you know, can't manage the, the ball pit at the child care center. And it keep Jeffries as out there, try, you know, dropping truth bobs. That's not a great contrast for Republicans, but that's that's a digression. Um, Democrats have a potential problem brewing with the migrant influx that's currently happening right now, because you're starting to see dissension in the party ranks. You're not seeing unity on the subject. Uh, you had the Colorado governor, Jared Polis, send migrants to New York and Chicago and have those mayors complain. Uh, you had Biden uh, announce a new border strategy that was a mix of welcoming policies and restrictive policies uh, Wait, that Jared Polis, Jared Polis sent migrants to New York and D.C. 
New York and Chicago. I totally missed this story. That's was it because this happened during the speaker stuff. So the Republicans were out there tearing each other apart. If that wasn't happening, and the story came out that the Democratic governor of Colorado sent migrants to two Democratic cities, that would have been the Fox News story twenty four seven for a whole wow. week. Did he do it the way that like DeSantis and Abbott have done it, or did they well, agree said, to take? He them? says no. I mean, he what the what Governor Polis said was. And so, so here's the the um, chronology. So you're getting. Uh, they got about 4,000 migrants in the past month into Denver, mostly Venezuelan. Uh, somewhat organically, it's not exactly clear why they came there, but but they came on buses. Uh, and according to Polis and the Denver mayor, oh, they came here. The most of them know somebody in New York and Chicago or elsewhere. This wasn't, they're not intended to be their final destination. We're just helping them go where they want to go. We're not forcing them onto a bus. There's no stunt. There's no uh, misleading uh, promises. Um, we're just helping them out. And we and we don't have the capabilities to keep them there for extended periods of time. We don't have the beds. We don't have the food, uh, et cetera. Um, the Chicago mayor was very pointed to Polis saying, you're trying to wash your hands of your problem and dump them on us. And... Eric Adams in New York was more like this is a national problem that Biden's got to fix because so New York has a law that requires them to uh, give shelter to migrants that come in. You know, they got a, a, a whole uh, thing of beds in Randall's Island that that's getting maxed out. Um, so he's asking for federal help. Now, in the omnibus bill, there is $800 million for FEMA money in their food and emergency their emergency food and shelter program that cities can apply to get grant money for to help them with this particular problem. So it's not like the feds aren't doing anything on the score. They are, but is it coming fast enough? Is there enough money like that? That I, that, that, that I can't say. So all this stuff's happening uh, while Republicans are having you know, their cage match. And so it hasn't become giant news, um, but it still could become giant news depending on how well, the influx is managed going forward. Uh, and, you know, what Biden just did was to say, uh, well, let, let, let me, let me step back a little bit here because I think, I think the particulars matter. And I wrote about this at the monthly, by the way. So if you go to the Washington monthly, I try to lay all this out. Um, you do have a genuine spike in migrants over the past two years. Um, we had, uh, a record number of border apprehensions, 2.8 million in fiscal year 2022, which broke the previous year's record of 1.7 million. I mean, this, this is how much this is jumping, you know, in a very rapid period of time. And the increase is largely driven by migration that is not originating from Mexico or Mexican adjacent countries, El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala. That's the traditional source of southern border migration. It is almost totally new. You're talking numbers close to zero before 2021, now in the hundreds of thousands from Cuba, Nicaragua, Venezuela. Those are the top three. And you also have some uh, Haiti, Ecuador, uh, Brazil. Um, uh, so you know the, the, the Cuban, Nicaragua, Venezuela migration that is you know, broken socialist countries uh, that people are fleeing from. When you get down, when you get into you know Ecuador and Brazil, you're talking more uh, more economically driven. You know, basically the pandemic wrecked these economies, and so people are looking for work. Uh, so all these factors are you know, and there's you know, there's, and there's drug cartels and violence as well, gang violence. Um, so all that is changing the nature of the migration and increasing the number over the past two years. Um, so while that's happening, Trump dusts off this Title 42, which is a public health emergency tool. So Trump says, we're in a pandemic, public health emergency. If you come into the border asking for asylum, I don't have to give it to you right off the bat. I just send you back to Mexico. Um, Whereas before, what's so-called Title Eight, you have to say, "Okay, come here. You, you got here. 
let's get you set up somewhere while we adjudicate your asylum claim. And that might take some time. And while, and while we're here, you can go find work. Um, uh, so Biden is now saying, so, so Biden says, you know what? Title 42, we don't need to do this anymore. The pandemic is basically over. We're managing COVID-19. Uh, so the CDC says we can get rid of this. We can, we're going to get rid of this. You get a lawsuit from Republican attorney general saying, you didn't go through the proper process by doing this. You can't get rid of Title 42 yet. Supreme Court says, okay, we're going to hear that out. In the meantime, Title 42 stays in place. Uh, and we're going to hear those oral arguments in February. So now Biden says, well, if it's going to be on the books for the time being, let's expand its use and apply it to Venezuela and Cuba and Nicaragua and Haiti for the time being. Uh, so while we're doing that, we're also going to expand what's called a parole program where you can apply from your home country if you have an American sponsor, someone is going to set you up and get your work. We're going to increase the number of people eligible to do it that the above board way. So they're trying to play both sides of the fence. The immigrant advocates say, "Look, most people can't don't have the American sponsor. They, they're not going to get in that way. They need to have the opening just to show up at the border and say, "Hey, help me out here." Um, so they're unhappy with what Biden's doing. Uh, and this, again, would be, I think, a bigger source of known intra-party conflict, if not for the going on with Republicans. But it could still well flare up because the people still keep coming. And again, I, I can't know how well Biden's two-step is going to work in the interim, if it's actually going to successfully reduce the flow and alleviate the pressure on cities. Uh and then you might not have more of what's going on between you know, Denver, New York, and Chicago. Uh, that's where I think the bigger political risk is for Democrats. If if you have Democratic governors and mayors going at each other, that that makes for a much bigger news story, and because it, 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 it calls attention to the fact that you, your plan to manage the flow at the border isn't working. So uh, that's what's unknown out there. My point in my article is. Democrats have to find a way to say it's good that people are coming here. It's good because we need the workers. We're we're actually we're in a labor shortage. We're in a genuine labor shortage. There are far more job openings than people looking for work. Uh, so we need workers to come in here. At the same time, it is genuinely difficult to manage the flow and get people set up with a with immediate food, shelter, education, work, when they get here, cities need help. And maybe that means we got to slow that flow down so we're not overwhelmed. So that's a that's a complicated set of messaging to put out there by due to the fact that I'm taking so long to explain it to you right now. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, and I think, I think I, this calls for a debate with Mickey Kals. <laughs> Bill Share, Mickey Kals, one night only. <laughs> Madison well, my, Square Garden. my counsel to the Democrats is don't get hung up on the Title 42 debate. That's a short term matter. There's no perfect solution. Uh, Biden's making a tough call. Just let him make it. Don't worry about communicating to the larger public that the net of the influx is a positive. We, they should outflank the Republicans. Yes, broken socialist countries are driving people to the beacon of freedom and economic opportunity America. Great. This is what America is supposed to be. Let's win the battle against socialism by showing that we can, that these people make our economy stronger and that socialist economies are, are doomed to fail. Zombie Reagan, zombie Reaganism <laughs> from Bill Shirley. I knew it was just a matter of time. <laughs> I mean, Reagan can be very eloquent on the subject. You know, it, 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 I mean, they, you, Reagan had a tricky problem because, first, Carter had the problem. Carter had a bunch of Cuban refugees. They sold in Arkansas, and that made Bill Clinton's life miserable as governor of Arkansas. Um, that people were, people, Arkansas, Arkansans were complaining about. 
And Reagan had sort of a complicated message because he was sort of knocking Carter for screwing things up, but also wanted to say we should be welcoming to, to Cuban refugees. Um, Castro was trying to take advantage of America's goodwill by sending people who were criminals and people who were mentally ill. Um, Including Al Pacino, apparently. <laughs> um, so... Uh, uh, so Reagan was trying to say we should be welcoming, but also say we, this is not an excuse for you just to dump people on us that you don't want yourself. So he had a he had a tough time with it. But so his overarching message was welcoming. Uh, he passed the '86 immigration law. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I think there is there are some things that Democrats could take from Reagan. They could e- easily quote Reagan uh, and try to make DeSantis and Abbott look stupid. But it does require managing that flow better than they've been managing it so far. Uh, Bill, got to jump soon. We're at the 45-minute mark. But let's just end. uh, I want to ask you about Donald Trump. Um, Is he fading? I I certainly feel like he has. Um, And I don't know if you saw Olivia Nuzzi had a piece uh, where she compared him to uh, Norma Desmond, who, if you've seen uh, the movie, uh, uh, what's it called? No, No, I'm blanking on it. Anyway. Uh, it's sun, about sun, um, Sunset something. Sunset Boulevard. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> it's about uh, this this starlet who was a famous silent film starlet, uh, and now she's probably younger than you and I. But but she's like her career is over, and uh, she's in this big old decrepit house on Sunset Boulevard, and she's trying to forge a comeback. And she just sits around every night. Well, she does play cards. Once in a while, with some of the old, uh, some of the old stars like Buster Keaton does a cameo in the movie, uh, but mostly she um, she is trying to uh, sit around and she just sits around and watches these old films from her glory days. And there's a comparison to Donald. First of all, Donald Trump reportedly this is like one of his favorite movies, and he likes to show this movie to to people who've never seen it before. I think Stephanie Grisham uh, watched this movie with him, um, but. There's a comparison. I mean, Donald Trump has been holed up in Mar-a-Lago. He hardly ever leaves Florida. And there's a question, is, uh, will, you know, is that part of his problem? Like if he gets out there on the hustings, will he will that be the reason he regains his mojo? And apparently he's going to be doing something in South Carolina later this month. It's, it's built as a Politico as a story about it, built as a more intimate uh, affair than, than his rallies. Um, my read on this is that he has realized he has to, uh, to leave, actually leave (laughs) Mar-a-Lago. And it's a sign that he, that he realizes that things are not going well. But what do you, what do you think, Bill? Well, he certainly has to work for it. He he can't expect the nomination just to fall into his lap. He, he, he will not clear the field. And I, and I don't accept that Trump made McCarthy happen, that McCarthy was going to lose until Trump came in and saved the day. I think that's way overselling his role. Um, the bigger thing are the concessions that that, that McCarthy offered. Uh, but the fact that McCarthy praised Trump, Marjorie Taylor Greene praised Trump, Matt Gates praised Trump. Um, Nominated Trump. Praised, right. Um, it, it kept Trump's name in the mix as someone who is an influential part of the Republican Party. Uh, so, uh, and Ron DeSantis' name has been quieter in the past couple of weeks. You know, he has to go back to being an actual governor. I'm, I'm sure DeSantis will make some news, you know, in short order. I'm not saying he's he's he's, he's forgotten. But uh, it's not, I mean, Trump definitely took a hit in 2022, unquestionably. But he hasn't, you know, hit the hit rock bottom. He still has his base of support. He still has friends in the party. Uh, he still knows how to you know, wedge himself into the news. Uh, and uh, I, I don't think he's going away any, anytime soon. But hopefully he is going away from Florida. I do think he needs to leave his house um, if he wants to be president. And by the way, I, I might have said Nora. It's Norma. Norma, mm-hmm. I believe. Norma Desmond, I think, is mm-hmm. the name. But whatever. Uh, I think you got to leave your house. I mean, I've heard of a front porch campaign, but this is ridiculous. Yeah, he, um, he, can't, he, he can't run a campaign like that. And I, and I don't think he will. I mean, everyone who thinks that he's just fundamentally lazy 
that's that 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 critique of Trump has never really borne out. He is always, I mean, he, where he puts his time and energy is always weird, but um, but he usually does something to ensure that he is in the news. Uh, yeah. and I think he's going to keep doing that. I do think he has to get out there. I do think he feeds off of people. And um, even though, you know, to be honest, his his the rallies he's had in the last couple of years have not been good and they have not moved the needle and he has not rekindled the old magic. I still think he needs he feeds off of the crowd and off of people and you can't get it uh, by going to weddings at Mar-a-Lago. So anyway, <laughs> um, to be continued, Bill, share anything you want to plug this week. Well, I think I mentioned so Peace of the Wash and a monthly uh, about Democrats and immigration, um, a piece of Politico, party of one becomes party of none. Also, also in the print issue of the Washington Monthly, also on the website, uh, I might've mentioned it on the past show, my, my review of the, oh, actually my computer's sitting on it. Um, my review of a man of iron by Troy Senek, uh, the Grover Cleveland biography, which everybody should read. I gave a Mostly favorable review, but I do uh, have my one quibble, which I, I can't remember if I mentioned it on air, on air or not. Um, this debate whether Grover Cleveland is, is actually a rapist or not. Uh, oh, yes he, yes. Takes, he, he takes issue with a charge made in the book A Secret Life. And I discuss the merits of both arguments uh, in, in the review. So check that out. Check out my Daily Beast column about the Republican radical revolutionaries and how they were able to... Uh, uh, get concessions that I think will uh, help Trumpify and radicalize even more of the Republican Party going forward. Uh, check that out. I was on Morning Joe briefly yesterday. Uh, there was a problem with the FAA grounding, you know, <laughs> grounding flights that 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 that, that probably uh, uh, impacted my <laughs> Matt Lewis, you know, hardest hit. Um, but anyway, we were. I was on with David. Uh, French. We had a good conversation to so check that out if you can find it. Um, and uh, oh, I should say my I've been having a problem with my podcast, Bill. This happens to all men once in a, every once in a while. Mm-hmm. I've not been able to get my podcast. Uh, we've got issues with the servers. And I think I'm going I, I had a really good interview uh, similar to what we just talked about with with uh, David Drucker, who is leaving the Washington Examiner, heading to the uh, the dispatch, and we talked about that as well as some of the rules uh, stuff and, and McCarthy. Um, and I've not been able to put it on the Matt Lewis in the news feed. I'm just going to upload it, I think, to my Patreon listeners, make it exclusive to them. So uh, if you're a, uh, a loyal little, check that out. Um, happy New Year, Bill. Happy New Year to you. Talk to you next week. Oh, yeah. And let me say, before we go, Bill and I are both um, watching White Lotus. So yes. we will talk I just, about I just, that. I just, I just just started White Lotus. So, all right. Happy uh, Happy New Year. We'll talk about it uh, in a week or two. All right. See ya. Take, take care.